Hallelujah. I'm, I'm so excited when I, when I sense and see what hap- God's doing here because um, what these words that were spoken, even the songs that are picked, God has a plan for you. In fact, um, years ago, um, um, I, as you know, many of you know that I, I traveled in southern and central Africa and I did crusades with Ed Elliott. And it's kind of funny because Heather's here. Heather came Heather came today, last week for the first time, and you know Tim and Carolyn Clark, and they out in Jordan right now, and in fact, Tim's going to be visiting here a little while, a little soon, but um, there's a common connection between us, Heather and I, and that's Carolyn, and, um, and so Heather, I don't know how long ago, was it 25 years ago or something? 26 years ago, Heather came up to me and said, do you remember me? She was one of the Bible college students that came to one of those crusades. And um, and I rem- I remember that crusade because it was such a it was so, we saw miracles as we often do, and um, and Kenneth Hagen had taught so many so many of us that have learned a lot of things about how to operate in gifts and how to flow in the gifts. He used to say this, and and it was profound, and it was one of the things I actually taught students. I said, be careful because Ken- and I learned that from Kenneth Hagen. He says, don't look for the spectacular. He says, many people will miss the supernatural looking for the spectacular. I'm going to say it again because it's profound. We live in a day and age where we in the West and we used to circus drum rolls and we used to this and we used to, we used to uh, you know, putting on a show. Um, and even many evangelists have actually fallen into that place where they sort of put on sort of a show. And, and you know what I found out crusade after crusade after crusade was that God doesn't operate according to drum rolls. Sometimes it's in the quiet, in the still, in the least expected places we would sit. Somebody would say, to the shock, to the shock of my flesh, because somebody would say, oh, I was healed. They said, you were healed? Yeah, I was healed. I was like, like what happened? I, oh, you know, and, I, and this person who couldn't walk or this kid who hadn't walked for, I mean, I t- we've got so many miracle stories that, that honestly we've, we've watched God do. And, and the, the truth is, um, as we will talk, and, and it'll, it'll lead and it'll flow into to my message over here, but there has never been a day of miracles. There's only ever been a God of miracles. He is the same yesterday and today and for the ages to come, it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. For the ages to come, He is the same. Hallelujah. So you know what? No matter where you are, and and like you said, we don't look at the flesh. We don't look at the external. We look to the Word of God. And like Norman, the word that he gave is just profound. It's in his faithfulness that our confidence rests. Our confidence and our faith and our trust, as I said, our unshakable confidence comes from the person of who God is. And so this series that I've been getting on and talking about, and I sort of want to try and bring it to a close today because really it's just a fundamental foundational series that we should just grind into our heart, into our paradigm, into our perspective, is to understand what is the Word of God, who is the Word of God. And so, as you know, I called it Manifest, and the series is called Manifest, and and it was the fact that Jesus is the manifest Word of God. 
And we went through first, um, you know, first John, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos of God. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And, and it speaks about Him being the manifest Word of God. And, and this is profound, and I know I'm repeating myself, but that's okay. <laughs> just, just open your hearts. In fact, close your eyes and just say, Holy Spirit, I'm ready to hear what you're saying to me. I'm ready to hear what you're saying to me. I open my heart, I incline my heart and the ears and the understanding of my heart to hear what you're saying to me. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful truth to lay hold of this because as we'll see later on, um, we, we are told to rightly divide the Word of God. And, and we'll get to that in some coming um, in some coming Sundays, because when we see this manifest, and as I've gone through uh, Hebrews chapter 1 in the last few weeks, and, and we've, we've gone through Colossians chapter 1, and we've seen that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. If you want to see what God looks like, you've got to look through how He has presented Himself, manifested Himself in the person of Jesus. It, it is the only interpretation. It's the only correct interpretation of who God is. The Father revealed himself in and through the person of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, it's so easy in our religious minds to think that there's a different God and there's gods of the Old Testament, God in the New Testament. I heard Elon Musk say something recently. And, and I, you know, even though he's a fellow original South African, I, and I have great respect for Elon, he, he is not a believer yet. <laughs> I trust he is, but, but you know, people make these statements. They, they, people haven't, haven't learned. I, 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 I like to listen to some of these worldly philosophers, in, in, and it's very interesting, some of the, the conversations they have and why they reject God and how they totally reject God. And, and you know, some of them, they just make, they make these statements, these, these, these senseless statements like, oh, yeah, well, you know, that doesn't make sense and the Bible doesn't do this and the Bible. It's like, oh, yes, it does. And I remember being in a place where I believed that. I had gone through that. I understand what it's like to say, oh, well, you know, um, you, know, uh, you, know, you, you know, you can't believe the Bible. You know, they, why should you believe the Bible? The Bible is just like any other holy book. Why would you believe this? And God is so confusing because over here you see God killing people and over there you know you see this loving Jesus and, and so it's all confusing, right? So this is the point of the series. One of the reasons that you have, to, you have to lay hold of a foundation of how God says He is, how God has revealed Himself to be. It's very, very important because when you understand it, there really there is no dichotomy. God is not confused. The Bible is not confused. God's word is not confused. You just need to rightly divide it. And that's up to you to understand. Because there is a step of faith. You, when we come to know Jesus, we have to say, God, I choose to believe you. I choose to understand you. It doesn't work the other way around. You see, humanity wants to approach God with a three and a half pound brain and say, when I understand, then maybe I will believe. It does not work that way around. Now, I tell you, I have got loads of science stuff. Good science is a plenty to prove creation. Good science. We aren't battling true science here, people. 
If you go and see his generous Genesis history, or you want to go into uh, the Discovery Institute, they've got loads of videos, Michael Behe videos, on, 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 uh, all talking about microbiology. They, they prove that evolution doesn't exist, couldn't exist. It's proof, scientific proof. And I know that a lot of people don't do that, and we don't show these videos in church because we talk about the Word of God. But I tell you what, I've got a ton of videos in my office. We could do a video series from now till whenever doing just scientific proof. But you know what I've learned? That doesn't help people who have already decided there is no God. Because they've chosen by, by you know, just like we believe, by faith we believe. They, they have by unbelief decided there is no God. They have chosen not to believe that there is no God. And somebody who has already eradicated has made the choice that there is no God. Now to the seeker, the true seeker, they will find. It's true what Jesus said, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. If anybody wants to know about God, he'll show up and show you. There is no question. God will reveal himself to whoever and whatever. As I said, the sciences are plenty. Romans 1 says that. His invisible qualities are there to be seen. You can look up at the heavens and when you see it, it's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. It, it is so plain. And, 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 and so, like I said, it, I, some intellectual people like to get into it. Some apologists specialize in it. And there's loads, as I said, tons and tons of videos and books and things like that. If that's an interest of you, or if your faith is, is rattled to a place where you don't think, well, I'm really not sure. I understand. Because I had questions years ago when I was a young Christian, like, well, why should I believe the Bible? Why do I believe the book of Romans? Why should I believe the book of Romans? Because right in the beginning, the book of Romans says to those in Rome, so I'm not in Rome, so why should I believe the book of Romans? I'm sure you've all had the same questions, right? You know, well, there's, there's, there, there, are simply, there are simple ways of understanding. And so I made this statement a couple of weeks ago, and I scared one or two people, and I just need to set the record a little straight. When I said that the Bible, because the Bible, you know, is a man's word. The, the word Bible isn't in the 66 books. The word Bible is man's biblos from the Latin and so on. And a biblos just means books, or, you know. And a talk, the, the 66 compilation of, of what we call the Bible. Now, remember that the Catholics have a bunch more books in there. It's called the Apocrypha, right? So, so you've got to you understand, when we talk about the Bible, the Bible means different things to different, even faiths, Christian denominations. So, so if, you, if you want to, and when I said that the Bible is not the Word of God, it is, um, it, but it contains the Word of God, I, had, I have to, to do it fairness, to make that statement fair, and to think through that a little bit, I'm not, please understand, I'm not, the, the doctrinal statement says it says we believe the Bible is the Word of God. I, I agree with you. But what I'm trying to say is that you have to rightly divide the Word of God to understand what God's Word is. For example, there are so many examples I could pick out here. But in the book of Job, now we're not studying Job right now. We can do that some other time. But if you, watch this, if you read the story of Job and you start in the beginning and you finish at the end and you don't try and pick and choose... Kind of like most Christians do that. They're like in a murder mystery. They want to walk in every five minutes and then guess who done it. It's like you can't, you, can't, you can't do that. You've got to read in context to see what's going to happen. And so what you see when the beginning of the book of Job, then you see Job's three friends show up. Then you see Elihu show up. And then God shows up at the end and says, okay, let's straighten this out. 
he says, and then he says, now, Job, you and me are going to have it out. And Job's like, whoa, I didn't know you. I thought I knew. I'd heard of you, but now I see you. And God says, no, uh -uh, let's have it out. Let you and me chat. Let's get this thing straightened out. And so he straightens everything out. God starts talking, and in from chapter 38 to 42, in four chapters, God starts saying, where were you? And you're so smart. You know this. You know that. And, you know, and it's, it's kind of funny, as I said. But one of the, right in chapter 42, God says, now listen, I have a problem with your three friends because what they spoke was not right. And Well, actually, God said, doesn't say that to Job. He says it to one of, the, one of the three. And he says, now tell your friends to take a sacrifice and go to Job. Job will sacrifice for you, and I'll forgive the three of you for all your mistakes. But you know what? I hear this in the church all the time. Do you know how many churches quote those three friends? Hold on a second. Did you, did, did, did you not read 42 where God says, you have not spoken what is right? So you can't go to the book of Job and go into the three friends and say, oh, this is, oh, this is, the Bible says this. See what I mean? That's what I'm getting at. The Bible didn't say that. It historically, accurately recorded what that friend said. And it's, it's, there's, there's so many books of history, Chronicles and Samuel and Kings, which are books of what, what was accurately said by evil kings. Just because an evil king or an evil person said something doesn't make it the word of God. What I mean is, yes, it's in God's truth. It's truly, rightly, accurately recorded. You get it? But it is not God's intention for mankind. Everything that is said is not necessarily God's intention for mankind. And even in the New Testament, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, he'd one stage in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, now listen, I'm going to give you some advice. This is from God, note, not from me. And then he goes on to tell you what God says. And then he says, now from my part, I'm going to tell you something, but this is me, not God. And then he goes and says what he says. He separates what he was advising people because he wasn't married and what he thought was good and versus what God had said. Do you understand that there, there, there are simple principles? You can't, you, you know what, I'm sorry to disappoint you or pop your bubble, but you are not allowed. If you call Jesus your Lord, you as a disciple and follower of Jesus are not allowed to come and be dumb. not allowed. You are intelligent, and it is your job and your responsibility to read the Word of God, hear what God is saying to you. He has given you the Holy Spirit, who is your teacher and counselor and guide, etc., and He will show you. Now, the Holy Spirit, some people go way off the beaten track to go and say, well, the Holy Spirit told me this, and then they give you something completely different against, against the will and intentions of God as clearly revealed in His character and nature. So Jesus, however, as we've been talking about, is the exact representation of God. If you want to see the character and nature of God revealed in how he thinks, what he says, how he acts towards people, you can literally take the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it becomes one of those inarguable revelations of who God is. Hyper important. Because if you pick an invert, you, you go to jump around, you know, the, the, one of the reasons I went to Bible school was I went to Bible school because I was confused. 
I did not go because I had this, this dream when I was six years old that one day I'm going to be standing and going to be a preacher. No, I didn't. I was just like, when I was, uh, before, before I went to the army, I, w- I loved Jesus. I had been filled with the Holy Spirit when I was, you know, my sophomore, what do you, I think you call it sophomore, about the third last year of, of high school. I had this radical experience. I wasn't well taught about the Holy Spirit. I, 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 I had bits of Old Testament, New Testament. I was just thoroughly mixed up. How does somebody say that? A concrete Christian, you know? Or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember the saying. But in any case, but I was thoroughly mixed up. So I went to Bible school because I wanted to. I wanted to get. Un, I wanted to get a little bit of a foundation of understanding, and so and, and so that helps you to get a to get a, a good bolus of information to sort of lay lay the foundation. But but we we as as we get this knowledge, we have to be prepared to see and, and understand and rightly divide the Word of God. And here, when we're talking about here in Manifest, is the one infallible revelations of who God is. In fact, you know, you, you know that the Word was with God, right, and was God, correct? We've mentioned this a few times. So um, I wanted to read this in... Um, where is it in First John? It's, well, we read verse First John one. Oh, sorry, not First John. One John, verse one was about the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, in verse eighteen, it says this in, in John chapter one: No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. He has manifested Him. Again, I'm going to read the word. The definition of the word manifest is to expose to view, make manifest, to show oneself, to appear, to become known, plainly recognized, and thoroughly understood who and what one is. Okay, now, Matthew 11. Now, whenever we go to, you know, we love Matthew 11, and we so often quote verse 28. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Beautiful scripture, right? It, and it says, take my yoke and learn from me. Now, this, this beautiful passage, and we'll get into Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 again here in a sec, but I want you to see these preceding verses in verse 27. Jesus speaking, and he says this, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Listen carefully. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now, again, and I've just read, I've read John, uh, John chapter 1, verse 18. Again, that He is the one that can, who reveals who God is. The, he is at the Father's side and He has made Him known. You see, Isaiah the prophet, Jeremiah the prophet, Moses even, we're not with God in the beginning. You do realize that, right? There is only one who was with God and who was God himself. He has been made manifest in the flesh, and he has the exact representation of his being. Okay, I'm going to go through Hebrews chapter 1 again. Hebrews chapter 1, long ago, verse 1, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, right? That's how he revealed. Moses, Abraham, you name it. He, he spoke to them by the prophets. But in these last days, 
Now that's interesting. Last days. This is talking about Jesus. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir, the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He spoke to us through his son. Then verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Are you getting this? You see, if you intake any, t- if, you, if you want to have a clear understanding, if you want to learn how to rightly divide the word of God, you have to, have to go back to see what Jesus said about it, how Jesus lived. Is it, is it line up with what Jesus said, what Jesus ministered, how Jesus treated people? You see, people, we, we, in humanism, we've got all these definitions, and we, we come up with these, these definitions, and we take some of this piece of the, of the Bible, and we say, take some of that piece of the Bible, and then we come up with this little doctrine, and we call it spiritual warfare. Or we come up with this doctrine about this is what God's love is. And we, we, we say, oh, well, God wouldn't do that because he loves us. Yes, he does. He loves you and me unconditionally. But we've got to understand how did Jesus love people? We've got to see in the life of Jesus how he defines love. Because guess what? He is love. He is love personified, it says in 1 John chapter 4. God is love. So lest you come up or you go and listen to, oh, but I listened to this preacher and I listened to that preacher and I read this book. Oh, and I went to this university. I don't care if you've been to 15 universities. You have to go back to Jesus to see how Jesus defined love. You have to look at the life of Jesus to see how Jesus defined love. And let me tell you, when you look at things through the life and the actions of Jesus, it looks very different to some of these definitions that some theologians give. They've got big, fat, long degrees behind their name, but that's like, that's not how Jesus did it. You know that Jesus' love doesn't equal sweetness. Oh, he's so sweet. Oh, you think that Jesus is just sweet. No, Jesus loves you to the point, not, but listen, we're not going to spend too much time here. Jesus loves you so much, he doesn't want to leave you where you're at, but he will never hurt, steal, kill, destroy, use pain, suffering. So that's the one side, right? Never do you see Jesus using breaking of bones, throwing out disease to teach anybody anything, or leaving people where they're at. Not once. Not once. Not once. Name one person in the life of Jesus where he said, sorry, I can't heal you today. There's just too much sin. And, I'm, and I'm, by the way, I'm teaching you something with this. You see that anywhere? Nope. Why? Because we can define it through the life, the exact imprint of Jesus. But you can have Peter saying, he's a good old buddy, one of the three, Right? Peter, James, and John, like, hey, they are these close buddies. They are hanging out with Jesus. They are right there with him. And Peter thinks he's doing Jesus a big old favor. And, oh, no, 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 no. You can't die. No, oh, no, you can't go to Jerusalem. And Jesus turns around to his good buddy, Peter, and says, get behind me, Satan. That is love of God defined because he was always and is always love. So love 
if you know Jesus' love, God's definition of love, sometimes he'll get in your face and say, call a spade a spade. Why? Do you think it's because he needs to? No, he needs to. He wants to help you. He's going to reveal truth. He's going to, it's only truth that can set you free. But listen, God always reveals truth in love. He's always got your best interest at heart. Look at the definition of love according to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't ever self-seeking. God is not doing anything for himself. That's the definition of the God kind of love. He doesn't seek himself. This is not because he has got a poor self-worth and he needs you to give him some praise or he needs to be pumped up by you. He loves you. He has your interest at heart. So, so hear what I'm saying over here. I'm saying that Jesus is the personification of God and the personification of love. So he is an immovable, we, we, this is a foundation that we have to understand, that Jesus is the manifest word of God, and by that we have to filter everything through the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus. Okay, you with me? Anybody want to run out the church? Not yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so there, there, are a few, there are a few absolutes in understanding God's personality that we've got to end. His character and nature and intentions are revealed. And so, and so we, we see the names of God, right? We see in, in the names of God, we, in the Old Testament, we, we, many of you have studied the, the seven or so covenant names of God. Well, if you, if you see Clint Byers created a big oldest, Jim Richards created a big oldest, lots of people have created how many personifications I am and all the names of God. He is, but, but the covenant names of God, like Jehovah Jireh, you know, the one who provides, and Jehovah Rapha, the one that heals, you, Jehovah, you know, all of these, Tzitkeno, God, my righteousness, all of these personifications define who God is, right? So the, when you look at the names of God and you study the names of God, let me tell you, that is an absolute. Those define the character and nature of God. God cannot say, I am the Lord who heals you. Oh, but sometimes I make you sick. You understand? So when you see the names of God and you study the names of God, it isn't just so that you can say, I know the seven names, the covenant names of God, or I can do this. It's not about what information, it's about getting to realize who he is, how he has revealed himself. Amen? So when you see the names of God, it describes him. He is a shepherd. Guess what? He is always leading you. Psalm 23, that's what makes Psalm 23 so beautiful because it describes the, the work of the shepherd. He leads you beside still waters. In other words, no matter where God leads you, he's trying to get you to still waters, people. If you will listen to him, he will take you via still waters. He will take you in green pastures. What does that mean? Food abounds. He can't eat for you but he can take you where there's good food. He will lead you. He will constantly lead you. And guess what? He will be with you. He will set up a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. We have evil people. We have people that have chosen not to walk in his ways. We're going to have, a, we're going to have people. This is not God's design. God's not behind the evil. He, there are, we are living in an age where there are people and more so, more evil intentions, more people. But guess what? If we choose to listen to God, he will lead us. 
set a table for us if we will hear and listen and obey. So that's just the word shepherd. But I can tell you, you know how religion, oh, I get mad at religion. I can see why Jesus did too. I can remember sitting in a church, a religious church. Well, you know the shepherd, you know, he loves the sheep so much that because it wandered off again, he's going to grab that little sheep and break its leg. And then he's going to strap that sheep around him so that the sheep will know he is here, he's heartbroken. How many of you heard that one? One, two, some of you. Yep. What a bunch of baloney. break its leg you see how many times let's go and put it in the number one slot let's go back to definition number one let's look at a place in Jesus' life where he broke somebody's leg to teach them a lesson but you see we swallowed it because the preacher with the degree said so Oh, I guess, I guess that's true. Wow. Because we haven't been taught how to rightly divide the Word of God. So we, we, the names of God are one of the fixed things. Jesus' personality, how he has revealed himself in these layers, a manifest person, a work of how he's, how he's done that. That's another one of the things. What he accomplished, finished work, of the new covenant, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, you know, the, what he did in the grave, how he had victorious over sin held in the grave, how he raised, put his blood, all the second, you know, the new covenant. All of those point to the character and nature of God, even how God created Genesis, even the Garden of Eden. God didn't want man to live in sin. Look at, look, Adam had everything, Adam and Eve had everything. If you look at that, was God's intention. Eden was God's intention. See paradise, what's going to happen? He's going to wipe away every tear, everything. God's intention. So we see, if we're willing to, to say, okay, God, hold on a second. I'm going to choose not to follow all these ideas, and I'm going to choose to listen to how you define. So I want to learn to define, the, rightly divide the Word of God. You see, there's, there's, so, there's a number of scriptures I put here, and, and, I'll, and I'm going to go through some of them because uh, uh, you know, when it says that God, uh, we went through how God wants us healed and so on. I'm just, last week, I just need to, <clears throat> here, I want to start here in Proverbs 18, 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous runs unto it and are safe. Now, we spoke about the name of the Lord, how God has revealed us. God, you knowing the name of God, that's why, that's why that scripture says we can run to God's name and are safe. Because when we know his name, we can take refuge in the idea that he is shepherd. He is provider. He is healer. He is your righteousness. He is your victory. He's your banner etc., right? So we can find refuge in this God who has revealed himself through his name. So let go of whatever other preacher you're listening to. And for Pete's sake, yeah, Shannon, don't go on a rabbit trail. Yeah. I, I don't know. So, so many believers are tuned in to so many preachers. I don't know how you keep your head straight. 
I mean, if you're going to listen to talk radio, do you turn on five different talk radio stations at the same time? I, I, I would struggle to focus on any one of them. That's just me. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and safe. So, okay, listen to Psalm 138 verse 2. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Man, so your steadfast love, that's a fantastically powerful Hebrew word, chesed, which is tender mercies, loving kindness, all of those things, and your faithfulness. So here we see this constant. God is this, God is this constant of all constants. He is the constant. So he says, I will come to your holy temple, give thanks to your name, your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. That's who you are. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Now, that is the English Standard Version. Now, it's a fascinating verse to study and unpack, un unpack because people, as some theologians have written about this because you would have seen some write it this way. The New King James, for example, says it differently. It says, I will worship towards your holy temple, praise your name for it, your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. And it's the way that the Hebrew is written that makes it sort of a grammatical um, it, it's, it, it can be interpreted both ways. And, and so I, I've read some theologians that say, look, it could, you could easily interpret it both ways. You've exalted your name above your word, or you're, uh, you've exalted above all things your name and your word. Um, uh, the leaning towards it is actually that King James and New King James, a lot of the ones that I've read, said that he, God is, he, it's an assumption that his name is above all. In Scripture, it's an assumption. So this is coming to this is this is a revelation to the to to the to the hearers, and he says, "You have magnified your word even above your name." So so God's word is is that powerful. He's remember we, right in the beginning of the series we spoke about Ray, logos and rhema. God's word is as sure as His name. That is His word. God's word is forever settled, right? <laughs> Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Firmly fixed. When? Temporarily? No. Forever. Your word is firmly fixed. So these scriptures that talk about the firmly fixed Word of God. Uh, I'm going to go through some of them here for a few minutes because there's these scriptures that say that God cannot lie, is unable to lie, that He is faithful, and that He is unchanging. Okay? He is the, the, the fancy word they use is immutable. He cannot and does not change. Now, put a pin in it. We will get to the place where we talk about rightly dividing and how we start getting to the rightly dividing, okay? So, so remember I told you when we talk about these pieces of God in my, I used my Hoberman sphere. I've got it still here. Let me pull it out here because I like playing with it too. You know, there are parts of the Lord. There are parts of knowledge and information. And, and the thing about why I like this, I mean, this is only three-dimensional, but, but God is multidimensional. He is more than three-dimensional. But what we have done, what we have typically done, is we have taken God and put him on a piece of paper. We, in, our, in our 
Bibles, we see paper and ink on a piece of page. And then we get all legalistic about how the English says something. God is not on a piece of paper. He is not on a piece of paper. The paper is information that pulls this multidimensional image of who he is, what his character and nature is. And so this is only three-dimensional, but it's certainly not a piece of paper. But I mean, so when you, when you see, and as your knowledge of God grows, you, he isn't growing. You are just seeing him from a different perspective. If every one of these little pieces were, was an information piece, all you need to do is like, oh, well, I know this. Well, yes, but you could see it this way, or you could see it this way, or you could see it that way, right? It's the same information, but you're seeing it from different perspectives. It's no different with God. Is he changing? No. You are the one seeing him from different perspectives, and you should be willing to, as long as you keep the standards, his name, Jesus, all of these things, the finished work of the cross, those are big, the, the big three, that are always, he's always going to, he is unchanging, right? So, so as we deal with these things, understand. So, okay, we've touched on Hebrews 13.8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and to the ages, the, the, the Greek says, to forever. Um, James 1.17 says, uh, for every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Listen to that. Coming down from the Father of lights, and just like any light, it doesn't have shadows. There is no variation or shadow due to change. Malachi, even in the Old Testament, Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Hebrews chapter 1, just a little further down, it says in verse 12, um, oh, well, let's go back to verse 10. O Lord, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. You are the same. They will change. He is juxtaposed or he's contrasted against, hey, listen, the, the earth is going to change. This, this age is going to come to an end. Man, I hope we can get to talk about some rapture stuff sometime. I, I would like to, but I honestly haven't had the release because we, we are, I hope you're ready. That's all I can say. You got your bags packed, ready to go, right? You know, because, but, but because we have to study, we can look at that sometime, but, but understand that 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 we've got to get these foundations of understanding. We've absolutely got to be have an unshaking confidence in God, okay? Okay, so you are the same. He is unchanging. Um, I'm going to say Titus chapter 1, and I, just for the sake of time, I'm going to jump to verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised through the ages, beginning at the proper time, manifested in his word through the preaching which I have been entrusted Psalm 102, verse, well, I don't even know which, it starts in 25, I think. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth. Here we see it again. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. Oh, so he's quoting this one. Yes. Like you are the same and your years will have no end. So will God lie? No. We've, Hebrews 6, I love this one. 
So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, who are the heirs of the promise? I hope you feel that you are the heir of the promise. Or have you already disqualified yourself like I often have? Well, I'm not an heir. I used to... When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable nature, or sorry, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope he set before us. So God is saying two unchangeable things. He's giving us two unchangeable things. God says, listen, guys, my name and my word is enough because he can't lie. God cannot lie. So people say, there's been arguments. Oh, God can do anything. He's, He's God. He can do. No, there's a bunch of stuff God can't do. This is one of them. In other words, God can't say, I'm your healer. Oh, I'm not. He can't. It's impossible. So two unchangeable things in this verse he says. One is the person of God because he cannot lie. And two, just to make it a little bit more sure to you, you know, who struggle, okay, I'll make a promise. I will make an oath. Thank you. A covenant. I'm going to make a covenant so you will understand. Not only is, okay, if you didn't believe me that my word is enough, here's a covenant for you. So that by two unchangeable things, changeable? No. Unchangeable things. The character of God and an eternal covenant. An eternal new, new covenant. Uh, Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? 1 Samuel 15, 29, and so the God of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Proverbs 30, verse 5, we could go on, I know. Every word of God proves true. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, my words will not pass away. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Psalm 119.89, we read this one already. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Psalm 33.11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all, all generations. The plans of his heart to all generations. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself you see it's essential for us to get a foundation where we aren't we don't have we don't have a relationship with quote-unquote the bible we have a relationship with god himself he has revealed himself through the logos He has revealed himself through the rhema. He has revealed himself through the books of the Bible. And we need, it's our job to rightly divide, to correctly divide.
divide the word. We need to correctly divide the covenants. And, and, and when we, 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 we will talk about covenants, and we need to talk about the law, and we need to talk about what came to an end and what didn't. Because you have the people that say, well, the Old Testament finishes in you know, Malachi, and the New Testament starts in Matthew, and then you've got the people that say, oh, this is all gone, none of it counts, so we don't have to read Genesis to Malachi anymore. And, and, and so there's a lot of confusion that I hope that we can settle. Because when you learn to rightly divide the Word of God, then this kicks into place. These verses that I'm saying, God is not a man that he should lie. His character is firmly, his word is firmly fixed and established. You know what that does? Your faith grows. Because faith is that unshakable confidence, not in print, but in his character. Unshakable faith comes from understanding this is his who he is the great i am who said and revealed himself so when you get your faith established in the person of god as revealed through scripture then you aren't running to a scripture and trying to do you know christian ouija stuff christian magic where you're going to say the spell a hundred times you don't have a relationship with a verse people A verse is just the spoken, a spoken, a spoken paradigm of it's it's one perspective. Is the whole is is what your verse is that you're quoting because you've got an understanding? Does it align with the heart and character and nature of God as revealed? The unchanging nature of God? It needs to, because if it doesn't, guess what? You don't have a correct understanding. And guess what? You get yourself into trouble. You get yourself into deception. And there are lots of people that have gone out on a limb. Tangents. Because they've taken one scripture and they've run off at a tangent and said, Oh, yeah, yay. And they've gone off at a tangent because they haven't said, Oh, let's look at the quote-unquote whole counsel of God. Let's understand. And, and, and let me tell you, I'll give you a, sort of a preview of what's to come. Because this is going to take time to unpack. Sorry, I can't teach the whole Bible. And, and I'm still learning. <laughs> but but we, it, it is beautiful and it's consistent and it lines up and it's, it's awesome because God is such a revelation of love. He is such a manifestation of love. And you see that that, that is God's... And I, I just need to end here. But, but, but God... But God is love. Whenever he is revealed through the New Testament, through Jesus, through if we go and look at it, you can tell that God absolutely is love. There, there are so many places. If we, if we, 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 especially if you go and read on your own time, First John chapter four, or Ephesians chapter one and three, and you know, and you just go and spend time meditating on how much God has poured out His love, and and you see it constantly. For God so loved the world, God has manifest His love. Everything is brought together in unity in love. Everything makes sense when it comes together, and you see that this God is powerfully in love with you. So not only is God awesome and great and unchanging and faithful, but he absolutely loves you. Absolutely loves you. And it does not matter what you've done or what you've done or, or you know how you've acted or what he loves you. 
But that does not mean that you can't screw your life up. Because there's scripture that talks about that. Does that mean that God will change towards you? Never. He will love you all the way through jail into the electric chair. And I'll pull the switch. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Sorry. I was just getting serious there for a moment. It's like, no, no, no. No, listen, yeah, I really put my foot in at that time, right? <laughs> no, but God, God, God will not change towards you. God will not change towards you. God will not change towards you because he loves you. He's not willing that any single person would perish, but that everybody comes to him, to repentance. That's his desire. You and I are loved apart from all our junk, and guess what? When we really receive that, we start having compassion for all the crazy people around us. Because we're like, man, I guess I'm one of those crazy people. I need more love than anybody. Amen. Let's end there for now. Father, we just thank you for your great love. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you take just words and that you've got the ability to reveal these to us and, and, and build them into our hearts and lives. And Jesus, we honor you we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for the Bible that, gets, that we get to sit in privilege at this time, that saints, even in the, in the first century, didn't have an opportunity to see all of these laid out. And we have the privilege of seeing so many evidences of you. And we're living in such an incredible day and age. And Father, I know that every person within the sound of my voice, you have designed us for living in this time right now. And so we receive that, Lord. We, we receive that challenge. We receive your, your grace and mercy. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the comforter and the teacher of the church. And we open our hearts to yield to you as our teacher. So thank you for teaching us, Father. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for teaching us and reminding us of everything you said, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. We love you so much. Thank you for loving us. This morning, we're going to close here pretty quick, but please, if you do not know Jesus or you want to make a fresh commitment, then all you need to do in your heart right now with nobody looking around, you don't have to even raise your hands. All I'm asking is you just call out to Jesus, your Savior, the one who paid the price and say, Jesus, I need you. Save me. Help me. I'll meet you wherever it is. I'll give you my whole life. If you've not surrendered your life to the Lord, that is what's required. Just say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. You are Lord. You are King. You are Master. I choose to see the way things you see them. I choose to believe your word because I know that's the only way to freedom. I choose to accept that. I choose to go your way, listen to your voice. Follow your path. That's a decision as a disciple. And I tell you what, it's because he loves you and he wants to lead you beside still waters. I yield to that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.